Hello, we're here. I'm in your ears. Welcome to another episode of Off Air. It's the weekly pop and news podcast. Uh, we normally come out on a Wednesday, but we wanted to put it off for a little bit so that we could see if there was a US election result, and it has backfired big time. Each week, Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, pull apart the top three stories of the week as selected by me. Nick has no idea of the topics, but I tell you what they are in advance because I'm a really nice guy. This week, we're going to be getting into Kim K's deep fake dad. We're asking the question, is France doing okay? And hashtag NUP to the cup, is it all hypocrisy? Uh, if you want to get involved in these conversations further, we've got a Facebook group, Search Off Air Podcast Community on Facebook. We would love to have you be involved. We talk about all of the different topics uh, and hit subscribe as well. And then on whatever podcast app you're listening on, and then you'll get a little notification when our episodes pop up each week. Let's get into it. It's off air. Tim, Nick, yeah. Hey, with Nick and Tim. Tim. It's real talk. Yeah. It's real walks. This ain't gossip. It's just what we say when we're off air. It's real talk. It's real talk. Just two opinions. We spit what we say. We off air. It's real talk. It's true talk. It's two opinions. We spit what we say when we off air. Nick Stewart, welcome to our first ever Thursday recording. <laughs> this is my fault. I want to point out, I'm terribly sorry. I said to you yesterday, let's wait until the election is finished and it's wrapped in a bow so we can discuss it a little bit. The US election, obviously. Unfortunately, uh, the people of America had other ideas and they're fraudulently rigging the votes, Tim. Stop counting. That's how democracy <laughs> works. You stop counting when you like the numbers that you see. So, oh, so as goodness. of right now, so we're recording on my lunch break, one o'clock on Thursday. Uh, Donald Trump is on 214. Joe Biden is on 264. So we still don't have a result, which means that this episode is going to date really, really quickly. I don't but, know if it will, because I think this is going to drag on for three or four weeks. It's very curious because Donald Trump Jr. Uh, and Rudy, Rudy Giuliani have already come out and said that they're going to be suing the state of Pennsylvania, which I find interesting because that's a state they're actually currently up in. Yeah, there are so many things. What are they going to sue them for? Uh, voter fraud. They they believe that the entire system has been fraudulently done, and they've said that they're Republican watchdogs, I guess you'd call them, haven't been allowed to go in and watch the people count the votes. Now, it has been recorded, so it can be watched after the fact, but they're very, very concerned that people have rigged these mail-in votes, despite the fact a mail-in vote is actually what President Donald Trump uses to vote as well. And this is the thing, because we've been saying that this was going to happen for a long time. Donald Trump has been going after the postal vote system uh, for quite a long time now, really for months. Mm. And he's been saying, oh, it's going to be voter fraud and all of this stuff. Um, I think because he knows that his voters are going to arrive in person on the day yeah. because they're not afraid of COVID mm. and standing in a line with thousands of other people. Whereas Joe Biden's supporters are very likely going to uh, have voted early and voted via postal vote, which is why all of these postal votes that keep on coming in, they're going, oh, wow, it's a whole blue wave. Who would have seen this coming? Well, everybody would have seen it coming. But Trump has been undermining the postal vote for the entire time so that now he can cry uh, cry foul and say, well, these votes, are, they're fraudulent. Who knows where they're coming from? So, I mean, you, we read this like a playbook and now it's literally just rolling out step by step. It seems like Joe Biden is 100% going to win. Um, they're going to have to count every single vote to in, ensure it. What's going to happen after? Is Trump going to have a tantrum? 
He's in the process of having it. He started having a tantrum yeah. at 2 a.m. in the morning, U.S. time yesterday, when he said, in his opinion, he's won the election. It's more concerning the people he inspires. That's what yeah. is more concerning, is the white supremacists or the militia groups that live in the Rust Belt and Central America who are now going to start lashing out. And these people are super heavily armed. It's actually, it's crazy. I think my favorite story from the election, though, and I'm not sure if you saw this, was in the state of South Dakota. I think it was South Dakota. Uh, a Republican candidate got voted in. The only problem, Tim, he died of COVID last month. No, it was North Dakota. <laughs> Great. Great. So, so what's he going to do? Is he, Are they just going to prop him up? Is it going to be weekend at Bernie's in, in Congress? Slap some sunnies on him and just raise his hand. Uh, no, look, it's, it's one of those things where it was too late for his name to be taken off the ballot. So they'll just vote in another Republican candidate who'll get put forward. But it is kind of, it's very ironic and super 2020. I just think that it so epitomizes 2020. 2020. At least if they did Weekend at Bernie's him, he would be uh, probably less likely to sexually assault somebody than anybody else <laughs> <laughs> from his team. This is true. So, I, get him in, sure. Why not? <laughs> but he's a sweet guy. Loved farming. Um, it, it, it's very bizarre. Sad. It's going to be a really odd period in history, and it's crazy to watch. I, I haven't even. Have you? How have you felt emotionally over the past couple of days around this? It's been a roller coaster ride. I was so uh, at the very start. I think um, Trump was up. It was like eight two or something. This is like literally minutes in. Um, and I went, oh, no, it's going to happen again. It's been a huge ride. And then to see Biden rise in popularity and then Trump start to catch him, I just, I kind of feel as if, you know, when you're watching a football game, oh, we were both watching State of Origin last night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. You know, when you're watching uh, a football game, AFL, NRL, whatever you want, and your team is is down and there's like 10 minutes left and it starts to get into that phase of the game where you go, Oh, we even even if we were to score at this minute and this minute, we we can't get it back. We can't win. I feel like the world is starting to get. This is maybe very pessimistic for the start of the podcast. I feel like the world is starting to get towards that point. And right now, we have such a fork in the road where we have Joe Biden, who is uh, planning on spending a trillion dollars on global warming initiatives. Um, and green initiatives. And then we've got Donald Trump who has 18 sexual assault cases against him. Uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on. He's had seven people from his camp currently uh, in jail um, for different fraudulent activities. The list is is endless. I feel like we we actually need this. And I feel like if it doesn't happen, I don't know, give up, send the media. I, it's 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 too exhausting. How do you feel? I feel okay about the whole thing. I think I'm disassociated from it at this point. I'm, I've been watching with fascination. I mean, I studied political science, so yesterday was a big day for me because the the way the American system works is so bizarre and nuanced that it's it's really interesting to watch. And I also just go, I, I part of me just thinks the world is going to keep turning regardless of what happens. Obviously I would love to see the Democrats get in and love to see Joe Biden get in mainly just so I don't have to hear about Donald Trump's bullshit for the next four years. Mm. But, but, but I think I'm very, I wasn't emotionally attached to it at all. 
I found the whole thing very, very, very interesting. And it's going to continue to be because it is going to drag on now for three or four weeks. Yeah. And God knows what's going to happen. I mean, in a year where it has just been upheaval after upheaval, and I think social change is always is always fascinating. And, and I, I think we are a bit more removed probably than four years ago. I think now we've had four years of terrible decision-making in the U.S., particularly in the past nine months around COVID. I think it's become more and more apparent Australia is a different country. We are a different country to America. Yes, they're allies of ours, but we operate under different social social governance and we have different social currency. Yeah. I, <laughs> did you you feel like that's more noticeable now? Yeah, because it's gone batshit crazy. Previ- yeah. If you think about it, pre- and we spoke about this on the podcast last week, previously... We've, we've really modeled ourselves off America and really right. tried to follow suit with what America's done. And, and we've idolized the things that America has idolized. And I think now, if anything, it's the complete opposite. And a lot of us are rejecting those things and those mm. principles of capitalism. And, and for me, that's obviously a great thing, being, being someone who is a social democrat. Yeah. Intre- well, interesting time, historically. Uh, can you hit me with some Nick picks? If anybody is over it and just wants to watch or listen to something wonderful, what do you recommend? I have got a great one for you. So this is a podcast. It was released a few years ago, uh, but I've only just come across it, and it's called To Live and Die in LA. Have you seen this or watched it or listened to, what, listened to it? I don't know anything about it. Hit me. So it's by uh, a Rolling Stones journalist called Neil Strauss, and it's the story... Uh, of a girl called Adaya Shabani who went missing while she was in LA. She was an aspiring actress. Uh, and it's the story of him working with a private detective to try to find out what happened to Adaya Shabani. A, it's just brilliantly produced. So if you're a fan of podcasts, it's super listenable, but B, the story is so compelling. It's one of those stories that can only be true. And it's so good to listen to. The only thing is, if you listen to it on your headphones and you're walking around doing other things, you become very, very suspicious of every other human being on the planet. You, you're sort of walking. It's like when you used to listen to Eminem when you were a 12-year-old on your Discman. And yeah. you're walking around the shops and just hearing swearing and things like that. I found myself walking around Woolworths with, with AirPods in, listening to this, being like, is that person a murderer? Is this person killing people? You just never know. It's great. When you said Neil Strauss, straight away, something pinged in my brain. I went, I know that name and I don't know where. And I've just Googled it. Neil Strauss wrote The Game. Yeah. You know, like the, the pickup artist book, The did Game. He, did he write The Game or was he part of that world? No, he was. Oh, my God. This book is, is crazy. I have um, read he, parts of The Game. It's You should explain I, it, though. Well, I read it when I, it went around my high school when I was 17. Half the guys in my year read it. Um, he, well, he was a journalist and he entered into the world of the pickup artists to try and write a column about it. And he learned all this stuff about it and rose through the ranks and became a really famous international pickup artist. Wow. It's so skeezy thinking back on it. And so now he's doing... Now he's got a new project. He's, I mean, <laughs> when he's doing this, this um, dark and gloomy thing, is he referencing like trying to trying to pick up people he along the way? He doesn't reference it at all. He's, I think he's reformed. Didn't he come out and denounce the book and say he was full of shit and a bit of a dickhead? I think he, I don't think he said he was full of shit, but I think he said, yes, it's bad. And well, I think social he manipulation, also, isn't it? And, and it's where, it's, isn't it's the totally game where yeah. negging came from? 
that's where negging came from completely. He actually, um, I'm not sure now, but he met like the love of his life and got married and had a family and all the, all of these things. And he kind of wrote about the game retrospectively. And he said, all of those tools are great tools if you want to kiss a girl at a bar, but they don't help you find the love of your life. And I think that that was actually something that was explored in the book because at the end of the day, it's completely shallow because you're putting on a front that's not you. So you can't actually build deeper, meaningful connections with people because you're not exposing any deeper part of your true self. So I found the book actually a really interesting read, but I don't think, like, I think that it shares both the kind of misogynistic side, but also it, it is self-reflective at certain times. When I read it, I wasn't like, this is the Bible. This is what I'm going to do now. I was more like, wow, what a crazy world. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people did go, this is the Bible. This is what I'm going to do now though. There was, yeah, there was a guy, um, there was a guy in my year who, who, took it the other way. And I remember being at a party and him using a line from the book. And he was like, yeah, I was, I played tennis with Britney. And she was like, who's Britney? And he was like, Britney Spears. And I was like, you can't just copy paste words from this book from a famous guy in LA who could have played tennis with Britney Spears. We're 17 and living in Sydney. <laughs> you obviously didn't play tennis with Britney Spears. It didn't work That's a That's a ballsy move. That's like our friend Tom when we lived up in North Queensland who was a journalist who would often go out to bars and, and basically act out goodwill hunting. Do you remember that at all? No, I've never seen him do that. <laughs> any, no? any girl would ask him what he does, and he would say that he is a uh, a janitor at his high school, but he really loves maths. <laughs> <laughs> Go really deep into the lie. It was fantastic. <laughs> That's great. Um, I'll tell you my Nick pick really quickly. My recommendation is a TV show called Fleabag that you can see on Amazon. Um, it's just, it, it's a really great dry British, uh, comedy written and starring, um, uh, a, a wonderful female actress. Um, what, what's her name? Here we Glad to see to you put, edit. glad to see you put preparation into this. We're not editing this. The amount of shit you've put on me during no, Nick's okay. picks. This Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is her name. Anyway. You really like Go check her, out obviously. the TV show, uh, Fleabag, if you want. Should we get started? Story <laughs> number one. Yeah, you're all embarrassed now, aren't you? <laughs> it's one of my, one of my worst. Story number one. Keeping up with the holographians. Nick, you always want more Kim Kardashian in the podcast, so I've Love got it, it for you. It was Kim Kardashian's birthday about a week and a half ago. She turned 40. I'm sure you were all over it. Did you celebrate? I wasn't invited to the private island, uh, and I am disappointed that my invite obviously got mixed up. Understandably, they had a lot going on. Uh, I, di I followed parts of it. I followed the photos. I find them fascinating. I think they changed, the Kardashians changed our culture and our society, and we didn't even realize it was happening. It is a bad, I understand they have copped some flack, and I think Kendall Jenner, uh, Kim Kardashian's younger, second youngest sister uh, got some flack as well because she had a big Halloween party immediately following it. Yeah, I'm actually not going down that road, by the way. This is not the part of the story that we're going to be focusing on today. No, that's okay. So, yeah, so yes, uh, so she celebrated. They've been having some parties. She celebrated by having uh, a, a party on a private island. Um, everybody had to quarantine for two weeks before she flew them on a private plane. Um, it was very humble, lovely. But the part of the story that I wanted to talk about is like a smaller subsection on, of the story. So on the island, during the eve 
of Kim K's birthday, Kanye West decided to give Kim her present. And so she brought the entire family into a quiet, darkened room to present his gift. And they stood in the darkened room, and before them, a reanimated hologram of Kim Kardashian's dead father, Rob, came to life and gave a speech. Apparently it was very moving. You can actually watch the speech online. I've watched it in full. Dead hologram Rob tells Kim how proud he is of her for being a young Armenian woman, um, that he's so proud of her for becoming a lawyer, and that he's especially proud that she has married the greatest genius in the world, Kanye West, (laughs) which were his words, or technically Kanye West's words, because he programmed the hologram to say it. Have you seen this part of the story, and are you buying yourself a hologram, Nick? I have, and it doesn't beat the Tupac hologram. The two, the Tupac Coachella hologram was the pinnacle of holograms, I think. If you're going to look, it, it's between Tupac and Princess Leia uh, getting her message across to Luke Skywalker and trying to find Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars Episode Four. <laughs> if I was rating my holograms, it was low. It didn't even look as good as the Tupac hologram at Coachella. That's the weirdest part. So in terms of holograms, I feel like Kanye skimped out a little bit. It is weird to reanimate someone's dead father for their 40th, isn't it? Is, am I off base there? It's pretty fucking weird. It's pretty weird for him to do that. And and also like the whole narcissistic trait, like legitimately a minute of that speech is the dad complimenting Kanye. Yeah, but you've got to lean into that. That's Kanye being Kanye. I mean, this is a man I mean, he's, that he, he's going to receive one vote in, in, in the presidential race that we were talking about at the start of this podcast, and it's from him. He went out he did. And, well, and he also said it yeah. was the first time he ever voted. <laughs> Are you So aside from the fact that it's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday... Um, and then wear their dead father like a tech sock puppet to um, <laughs> say what you want it to say. To say what you want to say and compliment yourself. Are you as freaked out by this technology as I am? Because I'm so worried about this. Really? Am I the only one? Yeah. Uh, but it's just, the, it's. are you worried about it from the deep fake aspect in yes. terms of people being able to manipulate you to say different stuff that you wouldn't have said? Is that where yes. is that so, where your concern lies? Yes. Yeah. So when we talk about so if we go back to the um, the famous holograms that we've seen so far, um, you spoke about Princess Leia in mm. Star Wars, which mm-hmm. obviously uh, they filmed her when she was alive, kicked then, off the trend. Yeah. Really, that started the trend. But obviously, the actress was alive at the time, and they filmed her and they put that in the movie. If we then go to Tupac performing at Coachella as a hologram. Um, they had footage of him performing that song that they essentially turned into a hologram. So we're, we're talking about two different things where they had real footage of those people actually doing that stuff and then they make it into a hologram. This hologram is reanimating somebody who is not alive and making them say shit that they have never said. And that to me is a really scary technology that I don't know if we should be tinkering with. <laughs> well, technology, look, technology is never scary. Humans are scary. I think it's worth pointing that out. Is technology is always technology is just an advancement of our society. It's the it's the way we use it that's scary or not. It's whether good or bad mm. people intercept this and how they choose to manipulate it. But we can't stop it. It's going to continue. I I think if you if you want to talk about things that could be totally 
are manipulated. I'm far more curious about the way they're starting to work on your brain being able to activate certain things. People, people that are missing limbs, they're now able to put computer chips into their brain and they're able to activate things purely through their thoughts and brainwaves and patterns. And that's also being used in marketing a lot at the moment. There's, they, they're, they're reading people's brainwaves to see how brains react to different stimulus and then using that to create marketing tools off it. And that stuff I find way more scary than deep fakes because I think deep fakes are going to – it's always going to happen. There was the famous one that Barack Obama did a few years ago to show that this technology was possible and you can't mm. take anything at face value. And mm. it, it just means we need to research more. Don't, don't get your information off Facebook memes, people. Yeah, but the idea that it's a it, it's a video and we are now able to create, I mean, it's not even just a meme. Like previously, the world has gotten very used to the idea of Photoshop. If you mm. were to see a photo of me hanging from a helicopter, you know, punching a shark, then as soon as you see that, you go, okay, that's been Photoshopped. But the idea of creating super realistic videos of people um, in normal settings speaking using their actual voice um, and the technology behind the audio is really amazing because what they've essentially developed is the equivalent of Photoshop for audio. Um, I think we're all very used to the idea of Photoshop being able to remodel visual images, but we're not used to the idea of being able to recraft people's voices. And so people like Rob Kardashian, who have a huge amount of audio on file because he was a famous lawyer, um, there are now programs that are able to analyze all of that um, audio and essentially uh, recreate their voice down to vowels and consonants so that you can type anything that you want and then create audio files of that person saying those words um, like Kanye West is a genius, which obviously were words that Rob Kardashian never, ever said. You don't know that. <laughs> we don't know that. We don't know that. Maybe he did say it. It would have been preemptive. <laughs> I'm surprised that this doesn't freak you out the same as it does for me because it's. Have you heard people speaking about the idea of the post truth era, which is. Um, We're in it. We're in the post-truth era. We just had a Mm. president get up last night and say that in his opinion, the election has been won and that we need to stop counting votes. We, We already live in this era. It's that it's already happened and you can't, I'm more curious. It's more curiosity for me. As I said at the start, the world's going to keep turning. We're going to continue to evolve, and it's very interesting to see where. I mean, if you were to go to, if you were to flash back to Tim Rubin in 1999, a young 10-year-old mm-hmm. Tim Rubin, and say, at some point in the next 20 years, you're going to have a device in your pocket where you can connect with any human on the planet and also watch TV on it. I mean, you would have thought you were, and we're calling it a phone. You would have thought you're insane. Yeah. So in 20 years' time, where are we going to be sitting? It's gonna, yes, it's but, so curious. But my ability to connect with any human on the on the planet doesn't destabilize the world. Whereas <laughs> this is a technology that I don't think many people are really t- uh, thinking about as a serious uh, as something that could seriously impact things. Once this technology gets real, I mean, when you watch this Rob Kardashian thing, you can tell that it's fake. But uh, that was the same with Photoshop. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and these technologies progress and progress. When this becomes something that is able to be created on anybody's laptop or on anybody's phone or whatever we have in in, in another 20 years, we're not going to be able to trust 
literally anything because there will be videos of anybody you want saying anything that you want. Like any company, if you were a rival of a company, you could make a, a video of their CEO saying whatever racist, sexist, crazy shit you wanted them to say. I mean, politically, we already kind of see that stuff happening, but this could totally like topple the way that the world works and it's just a program. Yeah, but the way the world works has already been toppled. It's already happened. We're in the process of the toppling and it continues to evolve and evolve. I guess I'm just not worried about it because I think uh, ultimately humans are good and there'll be shitty circumstances where this is tried to be used as propaganda, but we still have law. There is still legislation. And I also think there's that whole mutually assured destruction thing. Ever since there's been enough humans have created enough power to blow up the world a hundred times over, we we haven't seen like crazy major wars because because we're all so afraid of starting them. It would be so bizarre to see a war between Russia and America because both of those bodies can just blow each other up. I, mm. I just I guess I'm not as I, I there's not much I can do about it, man. <laughs> no, just, well, there's not much. No, obviously, I'm not saying Nick. Can you please do something about this? I mean, I've this? thought about it, but <laughs> no, I'm really worried. I honestly, I think like we have conversations about uh, stem cell research and other huge advancements mm. in, in technology. We've spoken about Elon Musk creating um, chips that can go into people's brains so that they can access the internet and the ethics around all these things. I think this, the production of accessible deep fake technology is the nuclear warhead of the internet. I think that this is one of the biggest and most dangerous advancements in, in technology in our lifetime. And I think that no one's talking about it. And Kanye West is playing around with it. <laughs> that scares the shit out of me. <laughs> I think you're just worried it's in Kanye's hands. I think you're really concerned <laughs> that he's worked it out and he's able to put stuff out there. I, I know what you mean. And I can see the repercussions and it could, it could, ruin people but there's still going to be a way to get to the truth there's still going to be a court say someone creates a video where it's tim rubin going oh i hate this and that and this you would be able to sue them for slander and there's got to be a way that you can prove that that data has been corrupted story number two anthony van dyke euthanized nick the race that stops the nation took place at the start of this week we had a one winner 23 losers one horse that had to be euthanized on the track and a separate jockey uh, that has now been hit with a fine for whipping too much. Every single year, Melbourne Cup throws the animal rights debate right into the spotlight. And with seven horses dead now in the last seven years, you have to wonder if we're going to eventually see some type of change. Um, so Nick, this week, did you say nup to the cup? I didn't say nup to the cup. I watched, I watched it. I watched the race. Uh, I don't, it's really hard because I'd be a hypocrite if I did. But we're all hypocrites, aren't we? we it, a lot of people out there who are saying nup to the cup still uh, actively participate in animal farming, uh, <laughs> battery farming, uh, buying luxurious dogs. There was a funny Batuta Advocate article about that, about... I mean, there is a lot of ways that animal cruelty is displayed. And, and I I agree that this is a big one and it, it is really, really shitty. It's also interesting that horses haven't always died in the Melbourne Cup. It's it, That is sort of a more recent thing. And it's I, it was also interesting that five out of the seven horses that have died in the past seven years were international horses. And they say that it's really 
bad for international horses to come over here and run because our tracks are a lot firmer. They're used to a lot uh-huh. spongier tracks over in the in, in the that. UK and Europe, and that's why we're seeing this damage and we're seeing so many horses die now at that. And they need to work on ways to fix or solve that. It's weird. It's it's it has turned. Uh, look, anyone. I'm all for people standing up for animal rights. Um, but when does it become an echo chamber and when does it become virtue signaling? I guess is my question. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, I've seen a huge number of people posting the hashtag nap to the cup, um, posts, articles, statuses. Um, I, a friend of mine and a, a friend or um, semi-colleague of yours, Zoe Scudder, who uh, we used to all work with in, in Breakfast Radio, mm-hmm. I think posted something really interesting on Facebook and I asked if we could share her status. This has come from her mouth, but it said, okay, bitches, stop whinging that the Melbourne Cup is murder if you're still eating meat, because guess what? And I think that that's a really interesting point. Um, I And if I look at the number of people who have shared things on Facebook who are just personal friends of mine, I know that the majority of them are eating meat every single day in their diet. So I guess it does beg the question, um, is it hypocritical to be asking to stop one type of animal cruelty-based industry when you're still supporting another? Or is it okay for there to just be progress in one direction? Why do you think people get dissatisfied? Why do you think but why do you think that specifically because the other point is the Melbourne Cup is one day of the year. Horse racing happens around the country every mm-hmm. single day. So mm-hmm. why do you think specifically this has become such a masthead for it? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because you don't see these Facebook posts going around for the rest of the year. I think that it's because it's the main, I mean, it's the biggest race of the year. It has the most money. It has the most watches. It's the only one with a public holiday. So if we were to try and tackle anything, it's that one. But yes, you're completely right. We don't see these posts the other 364 days of the year. Tell me, what do you think? Do, Do you think it's hypocritical? That if somebody eats meat, they still post up to the cup? Yes, absolutely. I do. But I, I want to qualify that by saying I am a hypocrite. Uh, and, <laughs> and every human being on the planet is a hypocrite. So I'm not going to judge you too harshly if you want to take a moral stand at that point. But I think you should reflect on your actions as well before you go criticizing other people. Because would you rather, if you had two animals, animal A and animal B, animal B has been lovingly cared for its whole life and treated like a fucking stallion, like a warrior, like an MMA fighter or a professional athlete. And then something happens to it in battle and it gets put down, which is horrible. And then it goes to a glue factory. Side note. Um, Or B, or sorry, or A, the animal has been tied up since birth, put inside a small area, physically changed by humans so that it cannot escape and that it gets used to that life, lives in constant stress and dies when it's still an infant and then it's consumed. What would you prefer? It, you know, you got to weigh up and pick and choose your battles there. So I do, look, I do, I find it odd. It's an odd fascination. For me, it's an example of like, don't ever assign yourself to a label. I find it really hard like when someone calls themselves a social justice warrior or someone calls themselves, uh, you know, a a strict male feminist or these types of things because you're putting yourself up on a pedestal to be cut down. Is it better that I'm criticizing these people and I'm still doing nothing to fix the problem? Because I don't like that either. I don't think that that's good. So I think we all need to take a look at our behaviors and just stop being so fucking divisive. 
you know, there's always going to be shit in the world that people are unhappy with because different people choose to live their lives in different ways. And you can always pull mm. examples out of your ass. You know, how dare you be offended about a horse dying here when, um, you know, gay people are being beheaded in uh, Middle Eastern countries. Yeah. So there's always going to be examples of, of hypocriticalness. It's always good if we care more about our environment. And, and I applaud anyone who wants to do that. But, you know, there needs to be a level of education involved in that. What do you think? I have a I have a hard and fast rule that I have when it comes to any of these things. And it um, is a metaphor that was taught to me by an acting teacher when I was at drama school. His name is Dan Carey. And he said this, and this is, this is what I think of, and I'm, I'm sure that I've said this metaphor to you before. I don't think on the podcast, but I think I've said it to you in our lives. Um, what's the longest flight that you can, that you can get on, on a plane? Uh, do you know? 22 longest hours? Direct flight? Thereabouts? 20, yes. I think it'd be Something like Sydney 20... to LA, I guess. Around yeah. That. Yeah. So if you took a, as the crow flies line between Sydney to LA, and you went, that's the direct line between Sydney and LA. That's how you get from Sydney to LA. And then you flew a plane, Sydney to LA, like the, the, the route that the plane actually takes. What percentage of the time do you reckon the plane is actually on that dotted line? Hmm. I don't know, 30%, 45%. It would be circling around it depending on wind conditions. The answer is less than 10%. So the moral is that... In order to get from A to B, it's not, you're, you're very, very rarely traveling on the exact line that you need to go down. You're actually spending over 90% of the time taking in minor calculations, minor adjustments. You're moving in this direction. It's not perfect, but we're heading in the right direction. Okay, we're going to stabilize and pull a little to the right. Okay, there's a gust of wind. We're going to go up. All right, we're going to pull down. And eventually, over 23 hours of tiny little calculations, you end up getting to LA. But if you shut down the flight every time the plane is not on the line, then the plane never gets anywhere. And I think that that's a real, that's a metaphor that I keep in mind uh, with, with everything that I do, because I know that I'm flawed as a person. And I know that um, I, for example, am hypocritical and I do eat meat. Um, and the Melbourne cup happens and there are all of these different things that do contradict each other. But I also know that I'm making those minor adjustments wherever I can. So with my meat eating, um, I only now buy meat from, um, butchers that are associated with farms. So the animals live like a full life. And I know that that's not as perfect as being vegetarian and being vegetarian isn't as perfect as being vegan. And being vegan isn't as perfect as living on a farm or living in the bush and only <laughs> eating grass. And so it goes forever. But all you can do is try to improve and make those minor adjustments from wherever you are at. And so for me, no matter where somebody's at, if they see something and they want to try and make an improvement on it, I think that that's good. I think that that's moving in the right direction. How so, often though? Just to counter that, how often okay. do you think that the plane would get back on the right line by standing a meter away from the pilot and calling him a fuckhead and screaming at him <laughs> and telling him he's wrong as a person and morally that he is in the wrong for, for zigzagging, dependent on conditions that you don't understand? 
Because that's what that's I a, more that, take issue with. That's a great point. That's a brilliant point. I think very, I think a very small percentage yeah. of the time. And I think that if that were to happen, you would probably be given a parachute and pushed out of an airlock. Exactly. And that's more where I, I think if you are internally looking at ways to improve, then that's a really positive thing. But by violently attacking people, you will mm. never get them over to your side. It will never happen. You will never inspire these people. And that's where the left, especially the radical left, so often go so wrong, is that they feel like by yelling at people and telling them that they are morally superior, there is going to be something good happen. Or do they? Or are they just trying to vent their own frustrations or are they just trying to morally justify their own decisions? Or are they just trying to get likes on Facebook? Yes. Which is, I think, I, I think another huge part of the puzzle nowadays. Absolutely. I, I want to move on, but I, but I want to just read out one other status that I saw from a friend of mine, um, David, who is a Bendigo local. Um, and he, and this is just another aspect of this story that I think it's important to also acknowledge exists. And he wrote, after 20 years involved in the racing industry, it's never the racing, racing stock that's not looked after. No animal gets looked after better than the racing animal. The problem is the do-gooders that don't look after them when they come off the track. Mm. Most people believe that they're doing the horse a favor, but the ones that aren't looked after are always at their forever home after their racing career. So basically what he's saying is um, the animals that are in the racing industry, I mean, they are you know, they are brushed every day. They are fed perfect diets. They're exercised. They're looked after. They're kept warm. They're massaged, all this stuff, all this stuff. Um, but a big problem in the racing industry is what happens after horses actually retire and they are not looked after. And sometimes they're sent to, you know, special farms. The they're saved. Um, yeah. And they, they, um, that's when often a, a lot of the real problems are occurring. And interesting, interestingly, nobody's talking about that. Everybody talks about the one horse that dies on the race course. Um, but there would be dozens or hundreds potentially that are being mistreated behind the scenes. Um, so that's a really interesting point, I thought. It is. It's super interesting. The world is fundamentally unjust. Like, and we all need to sort of understand that. And I think often you can really come from a place of privilege if you're throwing around accusations yeah. at people that you don't know a lot about and you don't know a lot about the industry. I would say, yeah, I think I like your point about don't just stand and yell at the pilot. Um, but also I think that everybody is on their own journey. And I don't think that we should shame people for uh, wanting to try and make a positive difference, especially if it's in their lives. Story number three. Has anyone checked on France? <laughs> so between the US election, the Queensland election, uh, the daily COVID news, the news has been very busy. It's been very competitive on the front page of newspapers and news.com and wherever you get your news. Something that is uh, weirdly not being spoken about a great deal is the fact that in the last two weeks in France, there have now been not one, but two public beheadings by Islamic extremists. This is something that I think a lot of people are probably unaware is even happening. I've had conversations where people have said, boy, isn't it interesting that terrorism's died down since COVID um, <laughs> rolled in? It has not necessarily died down. It's no. just not making the front page of the newspaper. Um, these beheadings are very fucking serious, man. Yeah. The first one is, uh, is really the crux of the story. The first beheading was of a high school teacher. His name is Samuel Patty. 
He had taught a class discussing the topic of free speech. And in that, they discussed the Charlie Hebdo story. Now, if you don't know the story, uh, this was the thing that happened in 2015 where the French newspaper called Charlie Hebdo shared a caricature of the prophet Muhammad. The newspaper officers were then attacked by two brothers. 12 people were shot and killed and 11 people were injured. Cut back to today and the teacher, Samuel, was discussing this in class. And in the class discussion, he showed the caricature that was in the newspaper that sparked this. He showed it to his class. They discussed it. They debated it. He left school. He was attacked by an 18-year-old kid who beheaded him outside of the school. It's pretty fucked. Yeah, and uh, it continues. Yeah, and and it, and it continues. And there have been other there 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 have been um, several other attacks since then. Uh, there's a lot to get into. Uh, but Nick, in 2015, we saw the entire world changed their Facebook status and said that they were standing with France. Mm. Why aren't we seeing anything happening about it right now? I think it's mainly, as you pointed out at the start, I think in Australia it's because we've been so preoccupied with state elections, with our with the lockdown in Victoria, with our response to COVID here, and then the US obviously takes president. It's pretty wild, though. Uh, the, the president of France came out, Emmanuel Macron, came out and said, you know, w- we need to be able to show these cartoons. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And then there was literally protests across the entire Middle East with hundreds of thousands of people uh, decrying him and decrying France. And then there's, and then they put up the, they actually displayed the cartoons on government buildings. Uh, and then there was another beheading. It's, it's, I guess also maybe Islamophobia has become a bit passe. Maybe, maybe it's like not the hot button issue that it was just two years ago. Um, it's it's very, very wild. Where do you stand? Do you think you should be able to display photos of the Prophet Muhammad? Yeah. Sorry, pictures, I, I should say. Yeah, I think so too. I think religious freedom doesn't mean you have the freedom to push your religion onto other people. And mm. that's sort of what's happening. Hey, do you want to know something kind of spooky? Mm. Um, so about three feet from where I am right now in my bedroom, I have the caricature of the Prophet Muhammad from the Charlie Hebdo um, uh, magazine. Newspaper. Wow. Yeah, because I, so I spent some time, I was studying in France and uh, it was the, I was there in 2016. So it was the one year um, After. anniversary. Mm. I don't know what you call it. It's not an anniversary, but you know, yeah, it was one year since and they um, reshared the same picture on the front cover of the newspaper. And so I bought one. Because I went, oh my God, this is such a crazy thing in history. And here it is in front of me. And I brought this newspaper back and I have it um, in a bag that is currently under my bed because I have no fucking idea of what I should do with it. It's not the type of thing that you display. I would not even said it on this podcast, man. (laughs) You see what's going on? That teacher showed it. It's a piece. I I have this like weird piece of history that Mm. I, that I just have in my room. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. What do you think about the French government's response by putting the caricature on buildings? I think it's good. I think that's a positive thing. The French have balls. They always have balls with everything they do. I mean, it's a very yeah. dramatic country in general. Um, and and I, I think that it's the appropriate response. It needs to be understood, as I said at the start, that religious freedom doesn't mean you have the freedom to persecute based on your religion. 
It means mm. you have the freedom to practice your religion. But if anyone else wants to do anything else and drawing a picture is drawing a picture, they're not, they're not persecuting you based on your beliefs. And, uh, you know, the French love to stir the pot. It's a, it's a pot stirring nation and it's a progressive nation. And the, what would you expect? They're very, very true in their beliefs. And they didn't, I mean, this is the same country that didn't follow America into war in the Middle East in the early 2000s. Like you can't say that uh, France is an Islamophobic country. But Europe in general is just a real hotbed at the moment because you have such vast numbers of immigration, both illegal and legally, from countries like Syria and, and other Eastern European countries. And when you go over there, you feel it. It's a bit heated. I mean, I haven't been mm. over there for a couple of years, but you've, my uh, fiancé Jazz and I were backpacking around Europe a few years ago and we were going between France and Italy and we got on a train which had a bunch of illegal refugees up on the top level. And some of them were trying to speak to, uh, they were from Africa and there was a, a, a black French people up there and they were trying to communicate with them. And the black French guys told them to fuck off. They said, we don't want to even be seen with you. We don't want to be sucked into this. We're not going to help you find somewhere to sleep and we're not going to help you find a job because we don't want to be persecuted ourselves for helping illegal aliens into the country. Wow. So it's it's pretty wild to see that stuff because that's such a foreign concept to the majority of Australians. I would say yeah. I think that's fair to say. Um, but it's but but where do you stand on freedom of freedom of religion and and I guess I don't because I don't want to typecast all all Muslim people as saying they're all violent no. and you know it's it's a really uh, tough one. So I did a little bit of research because I think it's an interesting topic to begin with, and I think it's good to have some context of where this rule comes from. Um, so if you didn't know, um, in Islam, you can't share an image of the Prophet Muhammad. That's that's one of their uh, blanket rules. Interestingly, though, it doesn't actually say that anywhere specifically in the Quran. So this is one of those rules that has been developed over time as uh, there are rules in you know, any religion, um, any modern day religion, I can think of a million examples from uh, Judaism or Christianity, where it doesn't actually say that. But some scholar some 1000s of years ago said, well, that means this and this means this. Um, and so it's kind of developed into what it is today, which is such a huge point. Um, and the reason why uh, this, uh, the reason where, where it originally came from was Muhammad, the prophet, he existed um, in the five, in the year 500s, 560s, I think he was born. Um, this is AD. Mm -hmm. So after Christianity was already a thing. And uh, he didn't like the way that in Christianity, people were idolizing Jesus, who um, back then, I mean, he, the guy was alive 500 years previously. So uh, there were many people who saw Jesus as a similar thing as a prophet and as a leader, but he saw that Christianity was turning him into a God, which is, you know, very similar to the way that we describe Jesus now. Mm. Um, and so Muhammad said that he didn't want uh, those uh, pictures and things of him to be prayed to and idolized because it's a form of idol worship. Um 
I've got a quote here from Akbar Ahmed, who is the chair of an Islamic studies department at a university. And he said the prophet himself was aware that if people saw his face portrayed by people, they would start to worship him. So he himself spoke about spoke against such images, saying that I'm just a man. So it's very, very interesting. So he didn't want those pictures of himself because he wanted to remain purely a, a human being. And then another quote that I found is from Hussein Rashid, a uh, professor of Islamic studies who wrote, in a bitter irony, the recent violent attacks against portrayals of the prophet are a kind of reverse idol worshipping, revering and killing for the absence of an image. So mm. in a way, things have kind of flipped It's gone 180. full circle. Yeah. It's the problem yeah. when we idolize anything or anyone it, and you have extremist behavior around it. Yeah. Um, I think that, and it's such a hard call to make, but I think that what Macron did by uh, putting those caricatures up is exactly right. And I think that um, as soon as you have an organization saying that we're going to take the law into our own hands, if something happens, um, that needs to be dealt with. Um, and yeah, I think that a, a great way to deal with it is to go, well, no, that's not a rule in our society and this caricature will be shared. And I actually think, I mean, everybody did the Facebook status of like, I stand with France. If you really wanted to start a movement that would actually make a difference, there should be, and fuck, this is controversial to say, but there should be a movement where people share a caricature of, of the prophet. And it's just, we just go, nah, this is something that people can share. At what point um, are you shitting on innocent people though? And I agree with what you're saying and I'm, I'm just asking the question, but at what point are you then shitting on people who aren't committing heinous crimes? Because I agree as well that the only way to stop terrorism is yeah. if they didn't share these images or they didn't yeah. make uh, these things, then you're letting the terrorists win. But yeah, but uh, who are you? Sh who are you then hurting unnecessarily? Um, you're shitting on you're shitting on a lot of innocent innocent people, and you're upsetting a lot of innocent um, Muslims around the world immediately. But unfortunately, there aren't that many responses left. Yeah. Um, I mean, you kind of get your hand forced. But at the same time, I say, yeah, it would be a good idea for this to happen. Who the fuck is going to start this movement? Because like they're, they're fucking beheading school teachers. You could do it, man. You've got the picture. <laughs> you Hey, money where your mouth is, dude. <laughs> but this is the problem with terrorism is like I would genuinely have a fear of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's, look, it's a valid fear. It's a totally valid yeah. fear. It's, it's, it's wild. And I think it's the, the bigger problem is it's the problem with ideologies in general is that you can't defeat an ideology. It's, it's, you're not defeating a country. You're defeating a concept and concept. It's a concept that has now lived for 1500 years. So it's always going to be a concept and a, and a, and a structure of that. It just depends on how people lean into it. I, I mean, I'm, not very into ideologies in general. I'm agnostic, but I'm certainly not religious. I don't comply to any sort of religion. I've read the Bible. I've read the Quran. Um, I've looked into uh, uh, Buddhism a little bit. None of them really fit what I was about, but I don't like assigning what about, labels. But um, what about ours? Huh? What about what about the Jews? <laughs> Didn't want to read the old Torah, huh? <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, 
it's look. I'm gonna okay. be honest with you. I All never right, enc- fine. I never encountered a lot of Jewish people growing up. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, fine. I heard they chop your dick off, and I was out. I was that was a firm <laughs> rule for me. <laughs> uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was real hard and oh, fast boy. early on. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. I am surprised you. I sent you a message being like, "Hey, how come this isn't in the news?" <laughs> mm. well, um, I made it into the podcast. Yeah. I think that um, yeah, I think that it's important that it is in the podcast. I'm not going to share a caricature of Muhammad on my Facebook or Instagram. I'm not going to be the only person that takes that stand and it's a pretty scary thing to do but i think that we do have to have conversations about it um and the more that people know about it and i think that it's really sad that it's not made the news in the way that it probably deserves to um because yeah there is a huge battle of ideology going on right now and i feel really bad for um the french people who are caught up in it i feel very badly for um the 99.9 percent of um French Muslims who are caught up in this and 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 Muslims in Australia who are, who get caught up in these conversations all the time and I, I want to make it really clear that I'm not making a blanket rule that all, all Muslims are, are bad or no or share no these I don't beliefs. I think you've made that clear I think that's um, obvious there's a st- I, there's a story I so want to tell but we're we're about fifty minutes in and you and I don't like to go over an hour so I might save it for next week but I actually about six years ago. Just for just sh- tell the story. Just, just tell the story. Just for shits and giggles, I really leaned into tr- like trying to get radicalized by ISIS. Oh my god! <laughs> I was because I was I was learning about it, and I was very like so. I was trying to because I think one of the most imp- uh, the best ways in life to uh, to to gain a greater understanding about something is to to look it up or to get more information on it. That's how we understand things as, as humans. So I was trying to understand why people were being radicalized and why they were going over there and why this war was happening and, and why they, th- this was all blowing up. And so I started looking into why, and there's magazines that are ISIS magazines. ISIS put out a magazine like Playboy. Uh, except very different. And so I was Googling shit like that and I was looking it up and finding the magazine and getting it. And then I actually, I got contacted by a, uh, a very pretty picture of a very pretty looking Muslim woman in a hijab uh, or hijab. Uh, and she contacted me on Facebook and started sort of like asking where my interest was from and, and all that type of stuff. And I was with my fiance jazz at the time. And I just, I was, I had said to her, I'm going to fucking lean into this and continue this conversation because I'm so curious to see how the recruitment works. And I did it for about six months. And then I think they realized that they were probably barking up the wrong tree and just stopped contacting me. Or they probably thought I was linked to the police in some way. Uh, Cause I was playing them along, but it was a wild ride. Like some of the, some of the st- ideology and stuff they were trying to lure you in with, which, which was totally against what their religion stands for. Like they were really mm-hmm. pushing the multiple wives angle and like really taking a real misogynistic tact to try to get me involved wow. in ISIS. It was wild. Do you want to know what I love the most about this story, Nick? What? is it just reminds me of the time that I tried to get into Scientology and this is why we're friends. 
this is why we're friends because we're both fucking morons and we'll do anything for a funny story. I know. Well, it was worth the laugh. <laughs> I, I can I see you doing it. I can picture it happening, and I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. Oh, That's why I enjoy doing the podcast with you. you Nick, I well. think we should wrap it up. I'm glad you shared that story. Um, if you're still hanging out with us, jump in the Facebook group. We have a group called Off Air Podcast Community on Facebook. We discuss a bunch of the different topics and you can also make recommendations about some of uh, about things that you think that would be good in the podcast as well. Um, hit subscribe. You will see the podcasts as they go up every single week. And we'll see you next week when hopefully the world is still running. Hold on, Nick, before we wrap up, I'm going to hit refresh on my computer and check that we don't have a winner no, yet. still don't have a US. Nah, not about no, it. No, <laughs> no. I thought it was it would have been great. Okay. We have won't next one. week. I want to give you the heads up already. When we talk next week, there won't be a president. <laughs> I hope we'll find out. All right. There might Bye. be a dictator. <laughs>